Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Let's fly away up to the clouds, away from the maddening crowds. We can sing in the glow of a star that I know, where lovers enjoy peace of mind. Greetings, Attic Wives and Strigas Nona, and welcome to Fuckboys of Literature. I'm your host, Emily Edwards. In case you don't know, the opening salvo of this week's episode is the lyrics to Valore. It was either that or That's Amore, which is a song I find utterly charming, but it's about Naples. Before we get too much into it, I'd like to remind you that if you're listening to this show anywhere but Patreon, you're getting a condensed version of the episode with ads. In order to revel in our full-length conversation, head on over to patreon.com slash fuckboysoflit, where, for just a buck, you'll unlock all of our past episodes full length. Opt for the slightly higher tier of $5 a month, and you'll get bonus episodes too, like our very famous fuckboys of art and fuckboys of classical music episodes, where the Italians are extremely overrepresented. If at the end of the episode you are longing for your own trip to warmer climes, may I suggest joining me on our trip to Lisbon, Portugal this May with Trova Trip. It's a cultural tour of the beautiful city, including walking tours, food tastings, museum visits, winery tours, and a private recording session of an FBOL episode. To learn more, click on the link in the show notes or find me on social media at Ms. Emily Edwards and ask me some questions. I'll be happy to answer them. We struggled our way through three original texts for self-help month, and I wanted to round out January with something a little different. It's still a text about life and finding the best path for you. It's a perspective-bending little ditty that is marketed towards women in their 40s who feel inadequate and want a roadmap to a better life. But this has none of the pathological lying of you are a badass, none of the weaponized Christianity of girl wash your face, and zero, and I mean zero, gender weirdness, like men are from Mars, women are from Venus. The book also has no fat shaming, no guilt, no abuse, no substance abuse, no need to feel control over everyone and everything, including one's own self. There's a bit of weirdness about race, which we don't discuss in this episode, but if you pick up the book, you'll see that Mays doesn't really connect the fact that she was a well-off white child in Georgia who had a black cook. That's the most uncomfortable, off-putting, glaringly, what-are-you-on-lady moment of the whole thing. She worries about money, she sweats, she has sex, she eats, she stops and smells the flowers. She wonders about the appeal of fascism, and she almost falls into a well. She is human, and she's real, and she likes you, even though she doesn't know who you are, which is more than I can say about the authors of our last three books. All right, everyone, with me today is a voice you will recognize from a couple of podcasts episode past. How the hell are you, Lynn? Hi, I am good. 
I am so excited to talk about this book with you because we were chatting for a little bit before I started recording as I do with everybody. And you and I were both just kind of like, oh, oh, this is happening and this is happening and this is happening in this book. Um, can I just start out by saying that I had no idea before I picked it up that it was nonfiction? Oh, I know. I know. I legitimately thought it was like this fantasy novel of a lady buying a house in Tuscany. And it turns out it's a fantasy nonfiction about a woman buying a house in Tuscany. Well, because the movie of the same name, which we will talk more about, is based on this, but not this. Yeah. But also that that is a romantic movie about a woman buying a house in Tuscany. But they add a whole narrative to the movie that's not in the book. Uh, it stars Diane Lane and early 2000s. And it is about a woman who is a writer, a professor, like the actual woman who, um, but there's a whole narrative. So she gets divorced. But it's this whole like bad thing where she gets like cheated on and then she winds up living in this like sad singles apartment. And then her best friend is played by Sandra Oh, who is uh, married to, um, it's so funny, it's like a Grey's Anatomy reunion to, um, what's her name, who played um, Addison Gray with the red hair. Oh, with the red hair. So yeah, she they're they're married and they're having a baby that Sandro's character is carrying, and they're supposed to go on this gay tour of Tuscany, but can't go because she's pregnant. So they give the ticket to Diane Lane, and they're like, "It's good because you can just be yourself because no one's gonna hit on you because you're not gay," and she. Well, they'll still hit on you. You just right. don't have to reciprocate. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Exactly. So she goes and she, they're in Tuscany and she, as they're driving along on like their tour, sees this house and just sort of starts making inquiries. And it's probably not as simple as I'm thinking, but anyway, she walks in and I guess they're showing, someone's showing the house and she, there's something sort of tells her that maybe on a whim, she should maybe like buy it. And she offers them, there's an old lady who's selling it, offers them like basically everything that she's gotten from selling her house in her half of the house um, in San Francisco. And she buys a house there and so what happens is there's this whole thing about, I mean, she has like this a wild. wacky neighbor and not wacky neighbor, like this woman who's, um, who's Lindsay, Lindsay, what's her name? Who says that she was in um, a, Berna, a, a Bertolucci movie. I mean, what? right? No, not Fellini. I'm Bertolucci. Fellini movie. It's just like this whole like Fantasyland added to all this with, parts from the book about like the old man and the gate and the flowers and like um and if you this doesn't make any sense to you there's all the stuff that's in the book you hear um her narrating parts about the house being put together and the workers and so those lines are from 
Gotcha. The book. But there's this whole thing where Sandra O's uh, wife leaves her. And so she comes over there and then she has the baby there. And there's, what? so there's, there's a line. It's a line that I quote often where when she buys the house, she says to the guy uh, who is her, the real estate agent, that she wants a life in this house, that she wants to have a wedding in this house, that she wants to have family in this house. And she even, she has this like affair with this, this whirlwind affair with this dude and it winds up not working out. But anyway, at the end of the movie, well, towards the end of the movie, this, one of the Polish workers who works in the house winds up falling in love with this young Italian girl and they get married at her house and then Sandra Oh has her baby. So the guy says, basically, you have everything you asked for. You had a baby. You have a family in this house. You have um, a wedding in this house. And basically, it's kind of like how we kind of get to the things that we want. She was thinking she was going to have all those things. Yeah. Right? But she got the life that she wanted. It just looked different. And it's something I quote often when we think things are going to turn out one way and they turn out another way but yeah so there's this whole thing and at the end she meets like david sutcliffe who played rory gilmore's father oh yeah the gilmore girls and he's like a um but he really cute this mm-hmm. early 2000s and so he I mean, he's probably still good looking because he's a good looking man but like he's a writer and he meets her and then i guess she has they wind up together because you see all everyone at the table having Christmas. I don't know. It's so this whole thing that they've tacked on to mm-hmm. this move to this book. And I'm, I'm going to read more about probably why, but I remember when this movie came came out, a colleague of mine was like, it's nothing like the book. The book is just about her renovating yes, this renovating house. house, which like, is enough of a fantasy to begin with because the way she talks about leading up to deciding to purchase a house in another country, this is before the European Union. So Italy was not uh, particularly economically healthy at this time. And she was just basically like, I cashed out all of my stocks and bonds and had enough money to buy a Tuscan villa and renovate it basically from the dirt up while also maintaining a separate residence in San Francisco. In career in San Francisco. Yes. With so again, you said in the movie, um she just lives there. She yeah. didn't go back. It this is like her primary residence. And I kept waiting for a part in the book where this is going to be her primary residence. And she talks about how she'll talk about coming home, right? She'll refer to San Francisco as home, but she also Mm -hmm. considers Italy home as well as the book goes on and on where she realizes that this is more than just like a vacation place that this, Mm -hmm. when she's in San Francisco, she's thinking about Italy. Yeah. Which is extremely charming. It is. Um, but truthfully, one of the most jealousy-inducing things I think I have ever experienced in my life. I, I'm literally, okay, I will say one thing about this book is that it was very hard to skim because, mm-hmm. because there's no big narrative story about 
this happens and that happens. And then somebody broke up with somebody and then there was a car crash and whatever. Right. So much of this book of this book is about her literally painting a picture with her words of of everything, of the plaster and yeah. what, how big the stones were when the breakers wake, break through the walls. But then, like, the olives in her yard mm-hmm. and how they were shaped and how they tasted and where she went and where they ate and all of these things, which should not be exciting. I know. But they are. They are. Every word. I was like, oh. And like I said, I wanted to to skim. And I even got to the end and kind of had to finish. But I actually put a marker in so I could go back. And I only, it's only, I got to the end of the book. But there are maybe like 10 pages that I don't feel like I read as. Yeah, as deeply. As, right. And I, I'm yeah. going to go back because I don't want to ruin the experience that I had from reading the book. She is a poet. She is a professor of English and poetry uh, throughout, you know, that was what her profession was. You can tell everything she describes is visceral and dripping in sensuality. By that, I mean like all five of your senses and maybe a sixth one I didn't even know I had because it is absolutely stunning writing. The fact that the first line is just, I'm about to buy a house in a foreign country. And it's like, okay, I'm sold. I am completely gripped. I am I am in for this ride completely. This is a daydream. None of us, I mean, we all have the daydream of going on vacation somewhere and being like, I could live here. And most yes. of the time, that is an object fantasy because we're all going to places where people go on vacation. So the people who live there are essentially service workers. And so like you get a false idea of what it's like to live in a vacation destination because most of the time you are surrounded by people who, even if you're in a major city, it's their job to serve you as the person who's visiting. It's their job to serve you and to give you the experience of a tourist where you're not thinking about those things. So so I um, went on several, or did several touring shows. I'm an actor um, Mm -hmm. in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, uh, theater for young audiences shows out of the Kennedy Center. And uh, it was a thing where you would, um, they basically would send you to places where either they were larger cities where they were bringing in populations of kids who didn't usually see theater, or you were going to places like Opelika, Alabama and Independence, Kansas and uh, places like that. But a lot of times, like you said, you would go places and you would say, I wonder what it would be like to live here. And the one I remember the most was San Luis Obispo. Um, yeah, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. And it's so I, I mean, this was, this was, you know, I mean, there was internet, so, but it was harder to, you still had um, phone books and you still had, yeah. you know, Atlases. newsletters, right. Exactly. Yeah. And Craigslist or not Craigslist, but whatever, like the stuff was the paper mm-hmm. printed out, whatever. The oh, like the classified ad. Exactly. And, stuff like that. and it would be like a fantastical thing where you would sit and go, well, if I lived here, how much it w- would it cost? And w- what kind of job would I have to have? And really it, it felt like a mini, um, like high school project, like an economics yeah. project where you have to figure out like where you live and how much you would have to have and 
and all yeah, of that. Exactly. And that's how it felt. But it's so funny you said that. That's exactly what I thought is how many of us go places and wonder what it would be like to live there. But then I always think, but then I would have to work. So it wouldn't yeah. be vacation anymore. Exactly. You know, like I, and especially when things, when you start looking at real estate of like living in major American cities, and then you look at real estate prices in like slightly less major European cities, you go like, well, like a house in Los Angeles costs a million bucks. And so you're like, okay, what's the equivalent in Tuscany? And you look at it and it's like sprawling fields and agriturismo. And you're just like, why the hell am I living in a two bedroom house in Los Angeles? But, you know, it's just not comparable. Like it's just simply not an apples to oranges thing. So that's like the absolute just roaring boiling jealousy you have while you're reading this of just like somehow you also she also has the money of like buying a house and then also fixing it up which everybody knows I am in the middle of right now in the house that I am currently in and it is torture but it's less torture if you don't have to live there all year right well fixing it up but also too that some of the renovations would happen when she'd be at school teaching in San Francisco. And there was this whole passage, which was actually kind of funny where, um, you know, the guy who's renovating it says all this stuff is happening and she doesn't know it. She's like trusting that these, but there's always more money. It always needs to cost more money Mm -hmm. and whatever. And then she gets there and it's like a hot mess. And the guy's like, no, it's great. It's great. It's wonderful. It's It's beautiful. It's fine. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I'm renovating a place that you're not in. Um, but yeah, being able to do that, there's another thought, another thought I had too. Also being able to go out to dinner like every night. I know. I kept thinking, how are they affording this? How can they afford to go out every night? I mean, a huge number of people who listen to Fuckboys of Literature are English professors. And I'm just kind of like, no wonder everybody who's an adjunct or like new or like even no wonder everybody wants tenure because like this woman's got money, like nobody's business. But, I'm like, come on. And her, her partner is another professor, right? Mm-hmm. And so I kept just thinking, what are you all making? This is like late 80s, early 90s, right? Yeah, this was like the early 90s where she's doing all of this. She's doing all of this. And um, she's in her late, in in the book, she's like in her late 40s. Whereas in the movie, which I just found out recently, Diane Lane is 38 in that movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, my age. And I was just like, wow, they treated you like you were washed up and old. And I'm like, ugh. Uh, gonna groan like Tina Belcher just uh. uh and it's so there's a part in the movie too where so like I said in the movie there's this whole narrative where so when it starts it's so wild she's at a reception I think for a student of hers who's just written a book and it's actually um Jesse Plemons. Um, oh, how about right. that? Yeah. And Kirsten Dunn's husband. Kirsten Dunn's husband, exactly. Yeah. And so she's at this reception and this guy comes up to her and he says that she had reviewed, I guess she writes, she reviews books as well and said she reviewed his book and mm-hmm. she wasn't very kind. And she just, it's, so it's getting uncomfortable. She's kind of like, oh, well here, take my whatever she's eating. I hope this makes up for it. And he goes, Something about basically he insinuates that her husband is cheating. 
As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. And that's how she finds out. And then the next scene, you, she goes, what is he talking about? And the next thing you see, she's there at her lawyer's um, oh, feeling like gutting. her world is ripped out. So in the, the actual Frances Mays has gone through a divorce and mm-hmm. she talks about it some, but it's not a big thing because she, now she has a partner. Yeah. Who, and I will say this and maybe we'll get back to it. We've talked about the money, but also the privilege. Yeah. And not even just in a, like, oh, we're privileged, but literally yeah. it's a privilege because the reason that they've gotten here is because they travel to Italy frequently. Yeah. Like we, we go to Italy they all summer, the time. They verb, they summer verb. And I'm just like, God bless you people. Like I have... I'm not a very well-traveled person. I, I didn't study abroad in college. I, I've driven across America three times, That's but awesome. I'm not very internationally traveled. Like my parents didn't take us on international vacations when I was a kid. I didn't study abroad. I had to work the second I graduated college. So I'm just not very well-traveled. And the way that there's certain people who are very well-traveled who cannot grasp that is a very interesting thing. There's a part in the book where she talks about people who go on tours that are like four countries in a week kind mm-hmm. of tours, right? Yeah. And I did that in high school. My sister, Leslie, who's been a guest on the show, yeah. um, and I went in high school on a trip with our uh, with our best friend, and it was like four, like that, four countries in a yeah. week. It was 1987. And... Um, you're on a tour and you go a lot of places, you know, you go to the Louvre, you go to yeah. the Eiffel Tower, you, you hit all the stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and for some people, that's the way, that's the economical way that they're going to see lots of things. And in the book, she makes a comment about people who take those kinds of tours. Not that she's saying that there's anything wrong with those people, but what she's basically saying is it's not, enough to really grasp the entirety of a of a experience but I just remember thinking but some people this is the only time they're going to get to do that they're not going to get to do a week or two in Ireland and then go home and then come back the next summer and do 
a month in Venice or like exactly. whatever. This is going this tour is going to be probably maybe the only time they set foot on European soil. So they're going to see as much. And I just remember like I totally understand the idea of being able to sit in a place like we're talking about going on vacations and Mm -hmm. we're talking about that about doing tours where you're doing a bunch of stuff or really being able to like see what there is to see and explore but you're really most of us are making a choice when we do that about whether or not because most of us aren't summering every year in another country most most of us don't even have weekend as a verb money let alone summer as a verb money like americans are lucky if they get two weeks of vacation a year and that's if you're just like rolling in good benefits at your job like it just was really difficult to read passages where she was like i truly love to immerse myself in the italian culture which you get that but then quite frequently Up until the very end of the book, every time she talks about hanging out with her friends, they're all expats. They're not Italian people. And I thought that was really interesting that she talks lovingly about the food and she talks lovingly about the landscape and she talks lovingly about the water in a way that like was very, very moving. But most of her friends are Americans or Englishmen or French people who also moved to Italy. You, that's so interesting. So um, Leslie and I uh, and our family lived in Saudi Arabia um, oh, wow. in the early 80s, which because we wouldn't do that now. But um, <laughs> so we were you we were young. Um, very long story short, uh, my dad was um, a consultant for the bus company. He worked for a contracting company that um, that sent people there and he was young he was in his 30s and um yeah right um and he went over for a year without us and then we went over um the three of us my sister my mom and I for another year and a half and um when you are in the Middle East a lot of the expats there you're able to travel to places like we came home one year for Christmas and we went to Madrid for a couple of days. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but again, there are people who had been there longer who did more of that. Cause you're there, you can go to, you know, Africa, you can go yeah. to other places in Europe. I mean, other places that's out of Europe, but you can go to Europe, yeah. you can do other things. But the reason I brought that up though, is that though, there is an expat community and some of it, I know for us, it was because women couldn't be a part of regular society. And so you were going to, we had a Saudi family who lived in the same compound as us because they had lived in the States and then come back. And it was kind of like a, how are you going to keep them down on the farm kind of a thing? Not mm-hmm. that Saudi Arabia is a farm, but what I'm saying is the kind of thing. Once they had been westernized, right? their daughters were our age. They were like 13, 14. And yeah. they, their parents, they, they were going to a Saudi girl school, which wasn't going great because they were like this now. Make- but yeah, all that to say, I understand that idea of an expat community. In the movie, she has Italian friends. Um but maybe it's the idea that they understand what it is to do that. And she talks about her neighbors who are Italian, mm-hmm. but they're not the people who she's like 
hanging throwing hanging. dinner parties for right yeah say again like throwing dinner parties for right exactly who she's like hanging hanging with um yeah but it's she did, yeah she has a few moments where she has like breakthroughs with the italian people around her which i think like this is all very genuine and i'm not trying to like snark on it or oh, anything no. i just thought it was like a really interesting journey to becoming part of the landscape and she has a moment where she i think she makes a cake or a pie oh, yeah. or something like that that um oh she has pine nuts like she has these pine trees where you get pine nuts from and she's totally excited because you know pine nuts in america are crazy expensive yes, yes. And so um, she makes like a pine nut cake for I think like her realtor or something like that. And he gets this moment where it's it it reminds him of his grandmother's. And then he gives her the less formal goodbye when he leaves that day. And she can tell that there's been a change. Right. And so much of that is the very truthful sort of connection over food but then i also love the fact that like italian people especially connect over food and so i just thought that was a really lovely way for her to weave that in there but he doesn't really come up again in the book and so i was just kind of like are we i was left so like wanting with a lot of the explanations of like her her connections with actual italian people so it's interesting because in the movie she becomes good friends with her realtor mm -hmm. and um, he's again the one who delivers the line about you wanted all these things and now you have them and so maybe I'd love to know more now that I've read the book because the movie's been one of my favorites for like 20 some years right and since it came out and so I'd like to read more about ideas or thoughts about how they decided to make that movie from this book yeah. and how they decided to add and maybe that's along with the narrative maybe one of the things they decided to do was make her more connected with the people that she's around more than just this quaint couple that does this even though again it was never condescending yeah never othering right it was never it was always that she was being connected to this place. But like you said, it, the people that she went out to dinner with or had over for dinner or celebrated with, a lot of times it was her family, right? She had, yeah. you know, her daughter and the daughter's boyfriend or like oh, friends of theirs who got married there. And, you know. Which I loved. I was like, oh, imagine having a plate, like a fan, like a friend with a house in Tuscany where you can just go and get married. And I was like, oh. God bless. That's really cool. Making this narrative into a movie must have been especially challenging just because she is she's a waspy white lady from Georgia. And so, like, I feel like she was probably also going into like a certain level of like, oh, those shifty Italians, which <laughs> like comes up sometimes. But also she has like some real interesting political feelings about like the fact that this is not taking place that much after like Mussolini is no right. longer in power right you, right so this is you know early 90s she talks about people who were young men in the 40s like in World War II so that would have been they were in their 70s now because that was yeah. then 50 years ago right yeah. um so yeah it, it was it's so interesting looking at things from the past and looking at how far away 
or how, how far away they are from now and how close they were to other things. Um, my sister and I just did an episode about designing women and we talked about, uh, with Sarah Marshall. Um, and we talked about though, how current it seems, but when they're making all these dated references about the things that are happening, you realize that these women are close or my mom's age now. Yeah. You know, my mom was their age in their thirties and forties and the eighties and is now in her seventies, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting sort of books is sort of like a time capsule and history thing of like what was happening around there and also interesting there's a part when she goes into a store and the guy has pictures by honey of uh, Mussolini and she mentions him and the guy thinks she's a fan yeah and it's like yay hooray and that was that was sort of um wild I mean because again that was the interesting thing about this book like you said is I never felt like I never felt like she was a foreigner who was trying to recreate the United States someplace else, mm-hmm. right? She talks about someone who's a visitor, somebody who was complaining that things there weren't like things where they were. And I remember my sister uh, went to uh, Rome with my great aunt, in the 90s, my great aunt had, who was in her 70s at that point, right? Said probably mm-hmm. had won money on the gambling boat in Mississippi. My aunt was from Arkansas and had won all this money. And at, so at my grandfather's funeral a year before, and who was, who was this aunt's sister, she said to my sister, I want to go to Italy and Leslie goes, well, I'll go with you. And so a year later, my aunt calls and said, were you serious? And so Leslie goes on this tour with her, but I tell this story because there were people on the tour from like New Jersey who were complaining that the food in Italy wasn't like the Italian food, Italian food in New Jersey. And it drove my sister. Oh, batty? Batty. Because yeah. it was like, again, you get to have preferences. The older I get, I look back and things that maybe would have sort of stuck my you know, nose up about. Um, but it's the idea though, of people letting themselves have experiences. Yeah. And letting themselves, again, like I said, when we lived in, Riyadh, a lot of it was trying to sort of in some ways recreate what you had Western-wise, right, mm-hmm. in a way, but not, but kind yeah. of. And um, it kind of reminded me of like, you know, movies like um, Death on the Nile and those kinds of things where they would carry all of their stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and they they go through the desert, but it's all their stuff. Yeah, exactly. In the desert. Yeah, you like know. how kings used to just like pack up the household and just go to a different castle. And it's like, why don't you just have different stuff at different castles? And they're like, no, 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 I have to bring my stuff. This is mine. It goes with me everywhere. And it's like, oh, good job, colonizers. Well done. Yay. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like I, she is incredible at describing the food. 
which I appreciate <gasps> immensely. It is most of it is nothing I would ever eat. I'm a vegetarian. So when she's just like, oh, like I watched like someone like snap the neck of a rabbit and it's like, oh, oh my God, that's terrifying. There was so much rabbit. So much rabbit. <laughs> but she does eat all of it. Yes. She doesn't necessarily want to see it killed. And she has a really good like kind of come to Jesus moment about it where she's just like, if I'm going to eat it, I should understand that it comes from an animal. But I do have like the urbanized American squick factor right. of the fact that I don't want to see the animal killed. And I was like, cool, I get it. Like, totally. But she does eat everything. It's incredible. She eats everything. I Okay, so I keep telling stories about my sister, but um, Leslie went on a... Um, uh, missions trip uh, in the early two in two thousand to Romania, mm. and um, Leslie and I were raised not eating red meat. But I think at that point, Leslie had even had even I don't know if she had stopped eating chicken at that point. But anyway, they tell you when you go to these places that a lot of people there have been saving up their money for the foreigners yeah. to come, so you have to eat you what they. Eat. present so, to you right yeah. so leslie was eating like goat and like all it tore her stomach up because it yeah. wasn't what she was used to eating but it was like but i'm here and i'm going to um respect it i think a lot about like eat pray love and yeah. like the italy part where they're just eating everything and they're loosening their pants so they can eat um yeah. all of the things and i think about like um and if you watch Top Chef, but how um, Padma uh, Lakshmi, you know, so she gains 15 pounds every mm -hmm. season because they're oh. just eating, 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 eating. Easy. Yeah. Eating all of the things, which is delightful. Yeah. But they're even in this book, like two chapters of recipes. Oh, it's incredible. And I want to try them all, except for the fact that I don't eat it, any of it. But like my husband, um, one of his first composing gigs was he was working for a gentleman who was hired to do some music for um the 2008 beijing olympics and so oh. they all collectively went to china several times and my husband's boss whom i love and adore like he's just a wonderful wonderful man was a very and remains to be a very convicted uh like uh vegan and he was just oh. kind of like I I'm not going to eat this. I haven't eaten like dairy or meat in like 30 years. Like I'm not going to do this. And so my husband was just kind of like, I'll do it. And so like every single time the Chinese businessman like presented him with some sort of like, this is an incredibly expensive thing. My husband was like down the hatch. He was the person who ate it all. He was eating like donkey and turtle and like shark stomach soup and things like that and he's just like it was an exploration you know he's just like, like i hope i don't have to do it again but right. it was incredibly interesting and it was a respect of what was there not that it's not that it's disrespectful to not eat things that are going to hurt you yeah but that's different than I'm turning up my nose at rabbit or I'm turning up my nose at like squirrel. There's yeah. a show that's on um, Hulu. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's called like searching for soul food. And Ooh. it's so. Oh, I've watched this. It's yeah. a great show. Yeah. It's a, a black woman who's a chef mm -hmm. and it's going across the country 
to places where basically the idea of soul food is that it's, and he talks about this, like the peasant food, right? It's yeah. the food that the people ate when they weren't able to afford the other stuff. So she goes to Appalachia and they're eating squirrel. Yeah. And um, I don't know. It's very interesting. It, it makes me, this book and those shows and those kind of things too, but this book made me just want to like go somewhere and like plant a tomato and like eat like ripe tomatoes. She talks about how the produce there doesn't have stickers on it. Yeah. I know. Yeah.